Uh, we're continuing this morning in our journey of the way of the manger, and so obviously we're thinking about Advent, we're thinking about Christmas. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, we will be reading uh, about the, the, vis- the visit of the, the Magi, the, the wise men. Uh, but before we do that, I uh, just want to share with you some uh, recent family images from the Ricks family when it comes to Christmas. But when you think about Christmas, you think about Advent, you think of joy, uh, you think of, of, of love, of family, uh, of, of delight, of the, again, the mystery of Christmas. So uh, there's a, a, a picture of the next generation. Uh, that's my son, Nathan, and, and my grandson, Cole, uh, as dad tries to make sure that we have all the right pieces to put together, whatever it is that we're putting together. And what I love about that picture is that I'm not in it, and I'm not trying to figure it out. I've kind of done my time. But that's a, kind of a familiar uh, time, uh, Christmas morning of, of celebrating uh, an opening presents. Next picture is a picture of my son-in-law, uh, Richard, and uh, his youngest son, our newest grandson, Elias. And they've got the Christmas tree up there in Hawaii. And perhaps you can see uh, the secret elf uh, that's hiding there in the trees. They, that, that elf hasn't yet been discovered uh, by Elias's older brother and sister. But again, just the, the joy, the celebration uh, the new life. And then one other picture, because I, I've come to discover something that I never knew before. Those are, uh, again, my oldest son, Nathan, those are his four kids. And what I apparently have learned is that Santa has a yacht somewhere in Southern California. And before he delivers the pictures on, or the, the presents on Christmas Eve, uh, he gets a chance to just kind of hang out and do a little, little boating uh, with some children in the area. But again, we think about Christmas and so we think about joy and laughter and love And yet this Christmas uh, perhaps is a little bit different. Uh, This Christmas is a Christmas where we are still in the midst of some very harsh circumstances. Uh, The harsh truth of our world at this moment uh, is that it is racked with pain and a a pain uh, and a hurt that has touched uh, probably almost everyone, if not everyone. And so... The notion of joy, the notion of good news uh, is perhaps a bit lost on us this year. Uh, Maybe we're just trying to get through the holiday season. The holiday season can be a difficult time for for lots of folks for a variety of of different reasons. Uh, Last year was the first Christmas we celebrated without either of my parents. My mom passed away in 2019, and it was our first Christmas without mom or dad. And and, and there was some pain involved in that. But this year in particular uh, feels extremely difficult, and it, and it challenges the notion uh, of faith resulting in uh, peace on earth, uh, God's goodwill towards mankind. Uh, it could be seen as you know, kind of a pie-in-the-sky, uh, foolish hope and expectation when the reality uh, is, is so much different or appears to be so much different. In this day and age, it, it's reminded me uh, of some of the ways in which Dickens, uh, the author, uh, described Scrooge. Scrooge was a miserly guy. He, he was a mean-spirited guy. You see a quote uh, on the screen there for you. Dickens is uh, early on in the, in the book is explaining who Ebenezer Scrooge is. And he says, oh, but he was a fist, tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner 
hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained, and as solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was in his head and on his eyebrows and his wry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about him. His iced office in the dog days didn't thaw, at, uh, didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. And then he, he summed up uh, Scrooge this way, darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Perhaps Ebenezer Scrooge is right. Perhaps there is no reason for joy. Perhaps Christmas ought to just be another day of the year. Perhaps Advent really doesn't have a practical application in our lives uh, that would give us a, a foundation for life, that would give us reason for joy and for hope. Well, let's consider this morning God's Word uh, and consider that thought, that challenge in the context of the reality of Scripture. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Hear God's Word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them as to where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written of the prophet, and here now we go back a few hundred years to the prophet Micah, and you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Let's take a moment for silent prayer uh, for you to ask the Lord to speak to you this morning, and then I'll uh, lead us in a prayer together. Oh, excuse me. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you in a, in a time in our lives that is unlike any other. You are not surprised by the events of human history. Uh, you know the course of this world from its beginning to its end. You are Lord and sovereign over all these things. But, Father, we are finite. Uh, we are feeble. Uh, we cannot see the beginning to the end. We, uh, we can only see what is immediately in front of us. So, Father, we come to you this Advent season, uh, perhaps in a different place emotionally and spiritually. Father, we cry out to you uh, that you would speak to your people. Uh, Lord, we know that that fear, uh, in the wrong sense of fear, is is not from you. Uh, A fear that ignores your love and your grace, your power, uh, your mercy, your your eternal plan. Uh, When we take our eyes off of you, that type of fear is, is unhealthy for us. Uh, but when we reverence you with a proper fear, when we, when we rest in you, when we, when we rest in that relationship we have with you through the Lord Jesus, uh, we begin to have a perspective that, that anchors our soul, even in moments like this. So, Father, I pray for our spiritual family, wherever we may be today, scattered uh, perhaps all over the world. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us, that your truth would penetrate our hearts and our minds. And, Father, that you would, would challenge us. Uh, perhaps to refocus a bit on the way of the manger and on seeing what you are doing in the unfolding plan of redemption that has come down to us in this moment and in this day. And in doing so, Father, that, that we would uh, repent of our, of our lack of faith and that we would turn to you again, trusting in you, and that our hearts would be filled not with a happiness that is fleeting, uh, that is momentary based on our condition, but rather with a joy that is eternal and is deep within our soul, even even in moments of storm. Father, forgive my sin. I pray that you would uh, protect us from from, uh, my feebleness and and anything that that I would uh, say that wouldn't be helpful today. Lord, we come to hear your word, and we we pray for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our sermon in a sentence this morning uh, is simply this. God illuminates the pathway to the manger so we can see and respond to the light of his salvation. Uh, one of the things that you're going to notice is that the sermons uh, this month are going to match up with a Christmas tree display uh, that we're going to have out in the front yard. And, and you've maybe already heard some announcements about that. You'll hear more about that. But each one of the nine trees that are going to be in our front yard represent a certain part of the story that we're telling uh, through the sermons on Sunday morning. And this morning, uh, I'm focusing mainly in on the Christmas tree that will be out front uh, here in a week or two that is focused on the star. Uh, we call it the star of Bethlehem. And the notion here is that, that God is lighting the way, that God is, is making it clear. We can see it because of the light uh, that he shines into our lives so that we can see what God is doing, but also notice in the sermon a sentence that says that we may respond. So those are our two observations this morning. First one is this, are we looking? Are we seeing what, what God is sharing with us? And then secondly, really the second uh, observation this morning is almost all application, how do we respond? So let's honestly ask ourselves the question, are we looking? And when I say are we looking, are we looking for God's redemptive work in our lives? Well, the, the, these wise guys, I like to call them, these wise men, they were looking. After Jesus was born, it says in the beginning of Matthew 2, uh, the wise men came from the east 
to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The, the wise men were paying attention. They, they were looking. They were anticipating. They were uh, measuring the signs, so to speak. And we'll, we'll talk about the specific question about the star in just a couple of minutes. But the wise men were tuned in. And I think that's one of the questions that I have to ask myself these days when there are so many distractions when it comes to my relationship with God. Am I, am I paying attention? Am I listening for his word to speak into my life? It's fair for me to ask that question of myself. Am I looking? Am I anticipating? Am I saying, Lord, I'm expecting to hear your voice in my life and I'm, and I'm anxious for it? Or am I so consumed with everything else that's going on around me that I'm really not even paying attention? Or like uh, you see, I, I was driving to, to work this morning, uh, and as I was coming in, there were two folks uh, walking down the street, and they were both doing the same thing. They had their head down, and they were doing this. And I thought, you know, they could step out into the street and get run over and not even be aware of it because they are so consumed by what's going on right in front of them. Same could be true of us when we talk about our circumstances. Are we really looking? Are we really paying attention, not just to our circumstances, but to what God says to us and has said to us and is saying to us? We were reminded last week, and I'm not going to go through the whole sermon from last week. Tom did a wonderful job. But we were reminded last week of several passages in the Old Testament that spoke in an amazing way. Tom talked about how, how almost virtually impossible it is for all these prophecies to come true. And I'm just going to mention a couple of them this morning, not go through all, all eight that he mentioned last week, uh, but that God has been speaking in Genesis 3. When our first parents originally sinned, when we rebelled against God, God made a promise of redemption. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan there. Between your offspring and hers, he shall bruise your head and he shall bruise your heel. God's going to crush the work of Satan through an offspring of humanity. In Genesis chapter 22, God said to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the world be blessed. In other words, through one person in your family tree down the road, Abraham, I'm going to raise one up that's going to have a redemptive pur purpose for the entire world, both Jew and Gentile. We come to 2 Samuel, and God's making a promise to David, and he says to King David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. And then he repeats it, your throne shall be established forever. God doesn't want David to miss that. How is that going to happen? And the words that we read in the call to worship this morning out of Isaiah 11, let me encourage you to take some time, uh, maybe later today or at some point this week, and just sit with Isaiah chapter 11. It is a marvelous passage of Scripture talking about the promise of God through the Messiah. And it looks not only at the first advent of our Lord Jesus, but it actually looks ahead to the second advent of our Lord Jesus when, when the Lord is going to return and make everything new forever and ever and ever, when the throne of David will be established forever by the Lord Jesus. Are we, are we looking and are we listening? Because God has been speaking to us through his word 
about his plan for salvation. But not only are we looking at the word, not only are we, are we listening to the, to the written message, so to speak, but this passage in particular and other passages of Scripture remind us that God speaks to us through creation. That it's not just his written word, but if, if we kind of get our heads up and look around a little bit, we'll begin to notice some things. And I'm just going to give you a, a handful of verses this morning. The first one's in Romans, excuse me, in, in Psalm chapter 8, the first verse. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name where? In all the earth. In other words, we look at the earth and we know that you are majestic. You have set your glory above the heavens. As we look at the stars, as we look at the heavenly hosts, so to speak, we are challenged to consider their creator. When we look at the stars on a dark night, and I, I've been a couple places where star, I've been a few places where stars have been amazing. I'm backpacking in the mountains uh, of the, the western part of the United States. I've been on the, the 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 rim of the Grand Canyon. I've been in in South Africa and Kruger National Park, and those types of places at night, you just you can't begin to count the stars. Uh, glorious doesn't begin to describe. Uh, what you're looking at when you see a night sky in places like that. And the psalmist says, God's shouting to us through creation about his glory and about his majesty. Later on in Psalm uh, 19, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And it's, it's consistent. Day by day, it pours out speech. And night to night, it reveals knowledge. And, and it's not just to a select few. There's no speech, nor there, uh, where their words are not or their voice are not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth. The words to the end of the world. Creation is speaking to every language, tribe, nation, people group, that the glory of God, that the majesty of God is there to be seen by all if we will look. Paul says it this way. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, when he's, when he's beginning to call people to account for unbelief. And he's beginning to say to folks, you're responsible. And, and what he's, really, he's not pointing the finger, he's saying we, humanity, are responsible for our rejection of God. And one of the ways that Paul says we ought to be held accountable is because nature itself, creation itself, speaks about God. And so he says in chapter 1 of Romans, what can be known about God is plain to them, to, to people, to us, because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we're without excuse. Paul reinforces what the psalmist says, what Scripture says, that, that the creation itself speaks to the glory of God. And so we come back to Matthew chapter uh, 2 and, and what we call the kind of the, the star phenomenon, the Matthew star, as many have called it. And you see in the passage here, I've underlined a, a couple of phrases. The wise men are speaking to Herod, and they're saying, we looked at nature, and we saw something. We saw a star. We saw his star. Again, they were anticipating, they were looking, they were wondering, they were curious. And they began to put two and two together and said, something special is happening. The star that they had seen, then when it rose and it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The creation was faithful to bring the wise men to the very place where Jesus was kept. 
Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about the, the, the two or three or four different ideas behind uh, the mysterious Matthew star. It is something of a mystery. Uh, and I, I'm going to give you one idea. I'm not suggesting that it is absolutely correct, and I, and I believe in it 100%, but it is an interesting one uh, that I think God uses his created order uh, to bring about his message to us. Uh, and it's interesting that this month, uh, on December the 21st, Saturn and Jupiter will align and it will look like a bright star. I'm reading out of a, a, an article uh, from Forbes magazine. This will be the first time that these two planets, and, and they look like a, a star when they align, have uh, the first time this has happened since the Middle Ages. And I think I've, I have a picture of, of someone looking up at this actual what it, what it will look like uh, if you're in a place on December 21st where you can see it. I'm going to read a little bit. According to Forbes, the two planets will look like a double planet and provide an extraordinary amount of light. The last time these two planets aligned like this was on March the 4th, two, uh, 1226, according to astronomer Patrick Hartigan at Rice University. I have to go down a side road here a minute for the folks that are living here in St. Louis. In 1226, Louis VIII of France died, and Louis IX of France ascended to the throne on November the 8th, 1226. Why does, why does that matter to us? That's the guy we're named after. St. Louis is named after Louis IX uh, of France. So if you ever get asked that on a trivia question, you, you'll have the right answer. So 1226, almost 800 years ago. Alignments between these two planets are rare, rather rare. They occur only once every 20 years or so, but this conjunction is especially rare because of how close the planets will appear to be to one another. You have to go all the way back to just before dawn, March 4, 1226, to see a closer alignment between these objects visible in the night sky. The spectacular sighting will be viewable from anywhere on earth. Remember the psalmist. This goes out everywhere. There's no place where your voice isn't heard. The planets will appear low in the western sky for about an hour after sunset and viewed from the northern hemisphere. And though they'll be closest on December 21st, you can look each evening that week. Although the site will uh, be sinking toward the horizon, it will be bright enough to be viewed in at twilight. All you need is an unobstructed view of the southwest and a look uh, to the southwest for about 45 minutes after sunset where, uh, where you are. So you don't, need, uh, you don't need a telescope. You just need to look at the right place in the night sky. Alignments, finally, they say like these are called conjunctions. They're not necessarily rare, but some of them are impossibly rare or only come around once in, a hundred, in hundreds of years. Astronomers speculate the Star of David, so we're talking about the, the Matthew star, right, was an exceptionally rare triple conjunction between Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus. Now, again, I'm not saying that that for sure is the uh, answer to the, to the star. Uh, God could have simply put a, a bright light in the sky and done it miraculously. But when I read Scripture... And I see that creation is shouting out the glory of God. It seems to me that that's as good an explanation as any, that God's not going to let his plan of salvation go unnoticed. But are we looking? 
I want to I make a statement that's a double negative, which you're kind of not supposed to do, but I'll try it anyway. You almost always, almost all the time, you don't find what you're not looking for. <laughs> if you're not looking, you don't find it. I was on a camping trip one time, a backpacking trip uh, in the Colorado Rockies, and we came to this beautiful butte, a wonderful overlook. And, and the picture you see is of someone camping on a butte. I would never have carried a tent that big. Weighs way too much. I, I, I slept uh, with just small uh, little fly to put over me. But we were camping on a butte that looked much like this. We were back a little bit further. We, we got to the butte and we backed off about 20 yards because I didn't want to accidentally roll over and, and roll off uh, the edge of the cliff. I also didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and forget where I was and, and stumble off the edge of a cliff. So we, we camped at a safe distance, but it was an absolutely glorious sunset. We had a wonderful time. It was just about dark, and a backpacker came walking through our campsite, and he was going at a brisk pace, and he, he was moving right along. And uh, this is a little bit unusual because we were kind of out in a place where you don't see a lot of, a lot of other hikers. And we kind of said, hey, hey, brother, where, where are you going? And he said, well, there's a pathway somewhere over here, according to the map, and, and I'm going down that pathway. I'm going to camp in that valley down there. And we said, well, we don't know about a pathway, but you keep going. You're sure going to be in the valley a whole lot faster than you thought. He wasn't looking for the edge of a cliff. He, he had his map looking in the wrong place. And thank goodness we were there. I'm not saying that he would have fallen off, but there's a good chance he might have because he wasn't, he wasn't looking for it. It wasn't in his field of vision, and it wasn't in his mind uh, that he needed to be careful where he was headed. So many of us simply are not looking. We're looking at our circumstances, and I'm not saying that our circumstances are easy, but we're looking at our circumstances, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling discouraged. I'm not going to get to see any of my kids this Christmas. That's, that's discouraging for us. That, I'm not going to get to see the little ones. Jordan's going to come. So Jordan, if you're watching this, I apologize. We are thrilled that we're going to be with you on Christmas Day. But so many of us, myself included, are tempted to look at the tough circumstances in which we find ourselves today instead of looking to our God and understanding the promises that he has made and this pathway he created for, for the manger, which, which eventually, as we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve, Eve leads to the cross. But are we looking? Are we, are we, are we seeking out our God? Secondly, uh, if we are looking, then how do we respond? And this is where we kind of begin to talk about application. Let me take you back to the wise men uh, and Matthew and come back to that. Uh, they say to King Herod, we saw the star and we've come to find him. Why? We've come to worship him. So they make no bones about it when they're talking to King Herod. The one we're looking for is not just worthy of homage, not just worthy of respect, but this is something divine and he is worthy of worship. Uh, many biblical historians suggest that these are folks who came from an area where Daniel had lived several hundred years early and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys, and that they had uh, kept clear the prophecies of the Old Testament and that those, some of those copies had been left behind uh, in the area then known as Babylon and that they'd been passed down and that these men were ready for the star of David, that they were looking for the star of David. Now they've come not to, not to say, hey, congratulations on a new king, but to worship a divine king. And then they find him. And what do they do? Later on in Matthew's passage, it says they fell down and they worshiped. And so what we want to remember this morning 
is that looking needs to lead to worship. When you come across the newborn babe in the manger, are you ready to worship? The question is not just, am I looking? The question is, once I find him, once I see him, am I being reminded that it is, it's the opportunity for me to fall down and to worship? Uh, I want to encourage all of us, uh, and I'm just going to say it real bluntly, uh, and, and I hope you're not offended. If you are, uh, it's probably okay for the pastor to offend every once in a while. Uh, how about this? How about we put down our phones and we pick up our Bibles? How about we spend less time on our screen and more time in Scripture? I would say now more than ever, that's needed. You say, Tom, if I put down my phone, I, I might miss a text or I, I might miss a headline or I might miss a message for someone. Well, it'll, it'll be there when you get back to it. And the chances are you're not going to be able to do anything about what you read anyway. And your time would probably be better spent. My time, I'm not even going to say probably, our time would be better spent sitting at our Father's feet, and listening to His Word. When I go to the words that I tend to find on my phone, the net result is fear, anxiety, worry, a sense of helplessness or hopelessness. I hear bad news about another friend or someone getting sick or passing away, and there's absolutely nothing I can do about that. Now, it doesn't mean that we should bury our heads in the sand. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I never come away with when I read Scripture? I never come away with anxiety. I don't come away with all the answers. I don't come away with knowing everything. I don't come away with a super spiritual, and I'm saying you should be just like me. But I come away with an understanding of God's peace. I come away from the Word of God with an anchor in my soul. I come away from that understanding better the reality of God's grace, the security of his truth, and a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And I would suggest in a, in a, in a world of information <laughs> that is instantaneously accessible, that we go to the most important information of all. And I want to challenge every person that's hearing my voice, and I'm challenging myself before I challenge anybody else, a Green Tree Community Church. I'm not saying pick up, put your phone down and don't pick it up till January. But let's prioritize. And let's not just look, but let's respond when we find the king by spending more time sitting at his feet, listening to his love for us, his care for us. Don't during this time when anxiety kind of is right at our doorstep, don't ignore good soul care. I read a study this last week that came out. There's a study on kind of the effects of COVID, and most of the effects that you hear about, that I hear about uh, from COVID are negative, but this one actually uh, was one that caught my attention, I, and I thought it was, it was actually pretty hopeful. It said that more Americans this year, one in five, as opposed to about, I think it was one in nine last year uh, when they asked the same question, uh, one in five Americans confirmed uh, that they would spend more time looking into the deeper spiritual meanings of Christmas this year. So the same question was asked last year, but void of COVID, obviously. COVID wasn't uh, around during Christmas time last year. So the question was just, hey, this Christmas, will you, will you spend more time looking into spiritual things? And one in nine said that they would. This year, that number's almost cut in half, or almost doubled, I guess you should say. One in five say they're looking for a deeper spiritual 
meaning this year. So part of the application is not only will we respond with good soul care, but will we help others who are looking? Will we spend some of our energy in our effort and our time? And yes, you have to do it, social distancing. And yes, I might have to do it from behind a mask. I, I get that and I understand that. But are we thinking about helping others look. John Piper uh, is, is a wonderful theologian, very wise and smart man, and he reminds us why people are looking, what they're after, what is really most important in the human soul, void of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, the age-old enslavement of the fallen human heart takes three forms. Uh, self-deification, I'll be my own God. Uh, self-definition, I will define my own essential identity and self-determination. I will decide my own truth and my own morality without deference to any authority outside myself. I think Piper is absolutely dead on the money. That's where our world is today. And quite frankly, that's where it's been since the fall. It takes on different shapes. It morphs in different ways. But this is really what humanity has been doing ever since our first parents rejected a relationship with God. We've been playing God with ourselves, and we've been deciding we're the boss, and we're going to figure it out, and we're going to believe whatever it is that we want to believe. And then something like COVID happens, and people start scratching their heads going, maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe there's something more. If we have looked and found the way to the manger and got salvation through the Lord Jesus, are we ready to help others find him? And then one last thought here on how do we respond. Worship leads to understanding. Worship leads to understanding. Look at verse 12 with me, if you would. would. And being warned in a dream not to return uh, to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. When's the last time you were convinced of something uh, because God spoke to you in a dream? Now, I'm not making fun of this passage, and I'm not suggesting it didn't happen this way. What I'm wanting to point out is it's pretty amazing that those fellows would wake up and say, you know, kind of look at each other and say, I don't think we're supposed to go back to Herod and trust God in that moment. That's a pretty remarkable experience. But I think that experience, I know because of what Scripture says, comes on the heels of their worship. When you and I worship, when we commit ourselves to time with our God, we end up being more comfortable trusting Him, not ourselves. They were warned and they believed that warning was from God on high. And they acted as if it was from God on high, and they went home by another way. The, the, uh, the James Taylor song uh, of, of a couple decades ago, now probably three decades ago now, uh, they went home by another way. But because they had worshiped God, I believe they were more in tune. They were committed to his lighting of their way, so to speak. His light had shown them their way to the manger. His light had shown them the redemption that he was offering. We have the Old Testament word of God. We now have also the New Testament word of God. The, the, the Magi didn't have the book of Matthew. It hadn't been written yet. They ended up being in the story, and yet they, they trusted him. We have that many more reasons to trust our God. 
creation cries out of his glory and his beauty. The specific light, which maybe what we see on December 21st is a reflection of that light. Lots of energy and effort, so to speak, God put in to making sure that we not only could find our way to the manger, but that we would understand and embrace his redemptive purposes and plans for us in the Lord Jesus. Will we look and will we respond when we find? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the light, uh, the the David star, the Matthew star, as I called it, um, lighting the way for that group of, of wise men to come upon the Lord Jesus. And for us 2,000 years ago to still have this story fresh in our hearts and our minds, Lord, in a day and age that feels so oppressive and so difficult and so challenging on so many different levels. If there ever was a moment where we needed the light of the gospel, it is now. And so, Father, I pray that you would cause us to look. I pray that we would not be consumed with the information of this world that is passing away. Not that we would be ignorant of our circumstances, but Father, that we would be consumed by your word and that we would look at our circumstances through the light and the truth that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the scriptures of your word. So Father, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us this Advent season as we're considering the way of the manger. And we thank you that as we've looked this morning, you've shown yourself faithful. Father, give us the faith to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.